Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Lucky Let Court Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Otto. Happy to be with you on Monday. May 9th as the tennis world switches venues from Madrid to Rome. The Internazionale BNL d'Italia is underway in Rome on the red clay at the Foro Italica. A two-week event this year. First round action beginning today. We're going to talk about all things clay court tennis here on the road to Roland Garros. Lots of question marks on the men's side. Lots of excitement on both sides. Who's the front runners as we head to Rome? Who's looking like a Roland Garros favorite? Who's looking like a contender? We're going to talk about Saturday's Madrid final, a classic battle between Arena Sabalenka and Iga Swiatek. We're also going to talk about Carlitos Alcaraz claiming his second Madrid title, the first man to successfully defend the title in Madrid since Rafael Nadal. Amazing tennis played by the young Spaniard who turned 20 last week. Richard Pagliaro is here to help us break it all down, so let's chat, shall we? Richard, oh my god, it's been a while, and this time, by the way, I hit record, so we're ready to roll. It's a pleasure to speak with you, and this is perfect timing. Things heating up on the road to Roland Garros. Rome is kicking off. Madrid is in the books, I'm sure you got thoughts. I don't know. Who do you want to start with, Richard? Do you want to start with Carlitos defending his title, or do you want to look at that women's final? Because we're going to talk about both. Well, both are stupendous, but let's start with Carlitos because he's the hometown guy in his 20th birthday. And, uh, you know, to, like you said, to come back and defend at home with a lot of pressure on you against a lucky loser in Struff, who played a really strong match, should, uh, should hold his head high after that performance. Great, great effort from Carlitos, and what a way to celebrate your, your 20th birthday. And, boy, what he did to Zverev, I mean, he just annihilated Zverev. And this was a guy, Zverev, who was, you know, matched from the French Open final a year ago, an Olympic gold medal champion. He just destroyed him. And then the Hatchinoff match was a good quality match. So I thought he showed a lot, you know, to lose the first set of the tournament and then come back and defend as he did with all that pressure. Yeah, he's got to be super pumped for, uh, for Rome and Paris. Yeah, I mean, with with uh, regard to Carlitos, we're talking about nineteen and one on clay this season. I think he's fifty eight and twelve lifetime. I mean, is he your favorite right now? Given all of the things that Novak and Rafa are facing, like is is Carlitos the favorite? Unless we see something from Novak in Rome that kind of takes it above and beyond. Yeah, I mean, if Novak went in and just rampaged through Rome, which you know it's not inconceivable because Novak and Rafa dominated. Rome, obviously, but Novak loves Rome, and the Italians love him. He speaks the language. So if Novak went in and just rampaged and rolled through the field, yeah, that would definitely, I mean, I would definitely give him the edge, especially with the record on the line going into Paris. But if you're asking me today, as of right now, if I had to pick one guy, I would pick Alcaraz. And I know, you know, 
you know, he had a disappointing loss there last year, but to defend Barcelona and Madrid on your home soil, and also, like you said, only one loss on clay, and that loss to Nori, to me, that's a bit of an asterisk because he wasn't 100% at yeah. the end of that match, although he didn't use that as an alibi or a crutch to his credit. Yeah, I mean, I would today I would put him as a favorite, and it's funny how things change even though it's a slow surface because a couple years ago everyone assumed, well, team is the next guy in line, and then last year, well, Casper Ruud is the next guy in line, or Sitsipas is the next guy in line. This guy has just leaped the line. I mean, he's to me, he is the favorite. But like you said, you have to qualify that and see what Novak brings, and we don't know where Rafa's at or if he's going to play. Yeah, but doesn't it seem like Carlitos is kind of – impervious to the pressure he's just smiling through these matches i feel like even if he lost a few it wouldn't be a big deal he's just got this this swagger this joy of competing and and he's got this head and shoulders talent really that is setting him above the rest of the field i mean yeah we didn't we haven't seen him play yannick center in a while and there's going to be some challenges along the way the clay's going to get slower in the next couple weeks so it'll be interesting to see how he holds up and of course if he can preserve his body through another grueling two weeks now at Rome. But yeah, I mean, in your opinion, what do you think? He likes hardcore. He talks about himself as a hardcore player, but seems like he might really be just as good, if not better on clay. Yeah. I asked him that in Miami at the pre-tournament presser and he said hardcore, you know, was his favorite and he didn't really hesitate. It wasn't like he thought about it. He just said hardcore, yeah. but you know, like you said, I mean, he's his game translates so well to Clay because of the variety and also because if you think of the top guys, Rafa, Medvedev, Ruud, a lot of these guys return so deep and his drop shot is so deadly and that he can serve and volley so effectively. He can use the front court on Clay in ways that very few other people have done recently in the last 20 years because he, can, he has the feel and he has... The servant volley. So if you're going to stand back near the wall against him, that's not going to really get it done, you know, unless he tightens up or, or makes some mistakes, which which he can do. He can get he can get too ambitious at times, but he's just so creative. It's just so he's just a wonder to when you watch him because you don't really know what he's going to do. Yeah. And the opponent obviously doesn't know, but I give Struve a hell of a lot of credit because Struve knew that that was his shot. You got to go out. I mean, I think he came in that 48 times at three. So I mean, he he really pressured him, and maybe that's a little bit of a win and how you would want to play him if you're an elite. Like, to me, sits a pass to just keep doing the same thing to him and lose it. Like, you got to take it to him. you got to come in on him once in a while. You can't just try to hang back at him because that's been a losing case. Yeah, beat him to the punch if you can. But, yeah, I mean, he's, that, exactly. he's got such a diverse uh, skill set. He can do anything. He can he can handle it. He can counter. He can, he can, he, he's such a natural mover on clay. I mean, maybe he likes exactly. the, to slash and, and change directions on hardcore, which is you know he's amazing at but but he's so natural on this stuff it only it just it makes sense that he's just as good on clay as he is on hard courts it's going to be a real tough out i think i totally agree and the other thing i just neglected to say i just want to throw in real quick is the running forehand strike i mean he said that that's that that's one of his favorite shots that's, that's a barometer sort of for his game in the way that it was for rafa but he's so good on the run with that form when he has that going man that's a devastating weapon yeah and i guess andy roddick said it well and about how and everybody has been saying it over the last year or so his game is so complete he's also got the spin rate the heavy heavy forehand that can really push opponents back and make his drop shot even more effective he's just got it all and it's going to be a lot it's going to be a big challenge for Novak I just so looking forward to what happens in Rome 
we'll circle back and talk about Rome and Rome draw and Novak's chances and maybe a little bit about Rafa and his his challenges. But first, Arina Sabalenka is the Madrid champion for the second time. And this time she did it in style, beating the world number one on clay for the first time. Um, your thoughts on really what was an amazing performance by Sabalenka in Madrid? Yeah, it was a blockbuster. I felt it really lived up to it because after the way Stuttgart ended, you know, where Arena tried to hit her uh, ego with the smash and then they had sort of a little bit of a stiff, colder handshake, I was expecting, wow, maybe there's going to be some bad blood here. But it was, and they were really respectful. They both played, I felt, a really high-quality match. And for me, the Sabalenka, the whole, the whole moment at the end where she lost the break lead, and, you know, that was a moment where, Iga, you know, you're playing a two-time French Open champion who's the best on this surface, and you have never beaten her on clay. That was the moment where maybe the old Sabalenka would have got frustrated, would have got angry, would have got down on herself, and she just dug in and said, this is my match, this is my moment, I'm going to take it, and she took it. And even that last game, serving it out to face the break point, to come through like she did, she showed a lot of guts. And, you know, the serve is not even a quite like nobody even talks about that anymore. She went from a, a really questionable, shaky stroke to the serve is one of the best serves in the in the women's game right now. So it was a really impressive performance from her. Also that her attitude all along has been, I want to be number one and I want to beat the number one. Like she's not shy about it. She says what she wants to do and she's going out and doing it. But having said all that, I still think Iga's in a really good position for the French because she won't have the altitude that she had to deal with in Madrid where the ball was, especially the kick on the ad, was getting up high on her. That was tough for her. And also the scheduling will probably be more favorable. She kind of alluded to that, a little bit of a dig in the speech where she said, 1 a.m. matches, which, hey, I don't blame her for saying that. I probably feel exactly the same way. So she won't have those kind of variables in Paris, and she's been so successful that I think she should she should draw positives from it. And I think as fans, it's just, it's just awesome to see number one and number two go at it. Yeah. You know, like consecutive tournaments, first time since Davenport Hingis, and to see this, what could become a really, really good rivalry for the I think it's a really exciting time now. Yeah, that's a huge stat that was being tatted around. You mentioned uh, Davenport Hingis, but I think it was the fourth time that world number one and world number two met multiple times in the same season on clay. It's just great to see the top players pushing each other, and it's great to see Sabalenka really closing the gap. She set her sights on trying to become number one, and she really has made a move in that direction. And look, Iga's got 3,000 points to defend the next two offense, and Sabalenka's got, what, 480? So she can have a chance, yeah, to, exactly. even if she doesn't and outperform in her favor, And also, to me, she's a better grass court player. She was banned, obviously, from playing Wimbledon last year. She's a Wimbledon former semifinalist. To me, she's a big, big, big-time threat for Wimbledon. Yeah, so you have to say just uh, hats off to Sabalenka, who's done it like on multiple fronts, mentally, physically, determination-wise. She's, you know, she's like overhauled that serve, had the one hiccup in the Indian Wells final where it got a little bit off kilter against Rybakina in a tough loss. But just everything she's done to kind of turn over every rock to become a more complete player, looking at the biomechanics of the serve, doing the analytics, being calmer under pressure. It's been a complete transformation. I mean, the, the number, this stat says it five finals already this year 
four finals all of last year, which was a very good season for her, by the way, despite the serving issues. So just amazing. But you mentioned it with Iga. She has to like it. She split two matches with the world number two. She's going to her preferred style of clay court, the slower surfaces in Rome where she's dominated. 31-3 and three lifetime at Rome and Roland Garros combined, defending champion at both. She's kind of come, the, the rivalry moves to her house and her type of clay now. And I think she has to like where she's at. She's you know, nothing really to hang her head about her performance thus far this, this season or in the matches against Sabalenka. No, she's, I think she's got to be, you know, encouraged. I mean, that was a really quality match, and she pushed her right to the very end of the last game, and the conditions were, you could say, the most favorable clay court conditions for Sabalenka's style of play. And, yep. you know, Iga's just been so strong in Paris. She's been so good there. I think she's got to take a lot of positives also that she could play better, in my view, because she just overused the body serve, I felt, yes. at times in that so if she just served a little more aggressively or ambitiously or just even a little bit more of a mix of the body and the, I understand why you want to stay away from Sabalenka's backhand I don't blame her for that I understand why you want to jam it into her hip because she's a tall woman and she's got long arms it's a totally logical thing to do but I mean you just can't give her you just can't be predictable with her she's too good of a ball striker so I think she'll learn from that but you know Rome is going to be is going to be really, really interesting. Also, just looking at the women's quarter, when you have Pagula and, and Coco Golf in the same quarter in Rome, that's kind of uh, intriguing. I would love to see another Sabalenka Swiatek before, uh, you know, in Rome. Would I'd be, love to see that. It would be fun. We also have Rybakina, I think, in uh, Iga's, exactly. Iga's quarter. She hasn't been in great form yet. But good point on the body serves. There were a lot of them. I had taken notice of that, but hadn't really thought of it beyond the match. I think maybe that was an analytics thing or a discussion, like this is the place to be. But yeah, but no matter what your tactics are, you still need a little bit of element of surprise and a little bit of variety, wouldn't you think? Yeah, and I mean, it, just not to compare the two, but that's what we saw from Alcaraz when things got tight. We saw the variety, and I think for Sabalenka's credit, you have to give her credit, like you said at the top, the mental strength, but also, you know, the self-awareness. Like, this is, it's not just the serve. I need to just calm down and focus and let my tennis flow from me. Be, she was kind of getting in her own way in, in recent years, and now you just see her sort of measure the moment. She knows that she's good enough to do it. So, so I think that's a big thing, to just to be accountable and be aware this is where I have to improve, and then to just go do it. Yeah. A huge step. So, yep. And she's an exciting brand of tennis. She's out there trying to win the points. I mean, she plays super aggressive. She was a damn good doubles player, and you see her use the volley at times, too. She has a nice volley, so she's a fun player to watch i mean because she can do a lot with the ball and she's trying to win the point she's not a grinder at all she's out there trying to trying to end it total character as well but let's let's move it to um to rome because there's so much to think about on the men's side and i want to like kind of play this from an angle is this a great opportunity richard for the atp meaning given given there's an injury cloud over novak and a little bit of uh you know lack of form so far on clay rafa may or may not be playing in paris seems like that those are two spots that really if if those two players don't perform to peak there's a lot of opportunities Casper Ruud is another player who's on a little bit of a down Daniel Medvedev a top 5 player really doesn't do as much on clay as other surfaces so there's an open window for a Tsitsipas a Runa a Herkic a, a Rublev a Sinner to really make a mark starting now in Rome so like let's t- let's look at it that way Wh- who do you see 
that stands to profit from potentially if Djokovic doesn't play well? And then what are you looking at particularly with regard to Djokovic? So two-part question for you there. Yeah, well, to me, if Djokovic doesn't play well, obviously Alcaraz is the guy. But if we set those two aside and just look at the next tier, I was really impressed by what Rublev did in Monte Carlo. Yeah. But I still think Sitsipas brings more to the table in terms of his variety and also just his ability to hold serve. I just think he's a better server. So I still like what Sitsipas does. It's just, you know, the loss to Struff. I mean, you've got to win those matches. You're playing a lucky loser. You're trying to win Masters titles. You're trying to be a Grand Slam champ. You've got to win that match. I mean, I know the guy played great, but, you know, you're, you're the seeded player. So that was a bit of a... A misstep, and I don't, I don't see Medvedev as a real. I wouldn't put him as a top five French Open contender just because of the because of the uh, the movement, the coming out of the corners, and just that yeah. he plays so flat. He just plays so flat. Where if you engage him long enough, I just think it's harder for him to end points. And I was not encouraged by what I saw from Zverev at all. I realize he's playing a guy. Alcaraz is the best player right now, but. Yeah. Uh, if I'm if I'm Zverev, I mean I don't have a lot of confidence going into Paris. And you talked about you talked about Rude, and that, I mean Rude has been really open and honest about where he's at, which is not in a very good place. Although he's so good on clay, you just think if he can get one result in his favor, yep. you know he could get it going. But he's just been really it's been a really tough year for him. So after eliminating all those guys, I would go to I would go to Rune. I would yeah. go to him, even though he's a kid, even though he's a young guy. He's confident. He's got some swagger, and uh, you know he's here to win slams. So I would look at him, and then Sinner, you know, has is one of two guys to beat Alcaraz, and he's always a threat to me on on any surface. It just comes down to the, you know, can he serve well enough? Yep. Well, with Yannick, his serve is improving all the time. I think he yeah, kn- he absolutely. knows he needs to work on it. And let's look at this stat, which I dug up before our chat: forty and eighteen lifetime on clay. That's an eight. 8- 33 winning percentage, 5-1 and one this year. It's better than his hard court numbers overall. Week 2 at Roland Garros, three years running. Quarterfinal at Rome last year. I feel like he's on the cusp of something is all I'm going to say. Yeah, I agree with you totally. And, I mean, the match he played in Miami against Alcott, I mean, he's there skill-wise. He has the skills. You just think for a guy of his size, his lankiness, you want to see a little bit more pop on the first serve. But, hey, I thought that about Del Potro when I first saw him when he was a kid. He did, and he did develop, to his credit, he did develop more pop. So I think he can do that. I would say the same thing about Corder, and Corder has improved the first serve. So, and it, plus he has the coaching around him. And you, when you watch him practice, he works on very specific elements of the game. He's another guy that has that self-awareness. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, it wouldn't shock me. I would say I would be more surprised if it was like a former, I, I would say if, if Novak is not informal, like it wouldn't shock me at all if it was a first time, a maiden Roland Garros champion, like an Alcaraz or Rune one of the, it wouldn't shock. I would, I would, actually lean more toward one of those guys than, you know, what guys we're talking about, like Rublev, uh, Medvedev, Zverev, Sitsipas, those kind of guys. Now, speaking of Novak, just pulled up highlights of him practicing with Yannick Sinner today in Rome. I uh, don't see a sleeve on the elbow. I think I think a lot of us might be sort of forgetting about Novak and how good Rome has been for him in the right. past. Six-time champion, he, he gets something like you mentioned. Crowd loves him. He gets something emotional from that place. And many, many times, it's been the spark that kind of triggered him to just really hit his form on the clay. And I, I got to admit, I, I expect it to happen again this year, and I expect us to be rethinking our our like you know our favorites and underdogs after this week in a big way. 
I agree with you because if you look at Novak historically, he's had clay court losses to like Yuri Vesely, to Rublev, to Karab. He's had losses in clay and then come back and put together really strong runs in Paris. And like you said, he's been a dominant player in Rome. He loves it there and they love him there. So, yeah, I mean, it's not inconceivable. It's just he's had so many stops and starts that you just want to see him put together like two, two or three healthy weeks and, uh, it's just hard, but I mean, yep. yeah, he he's he's very very comfortable there. So this is a big week for him. This, obviously, this is big. I mean, he doesn't have to win it per se. He just needs to be healthy and get some right. get some matches and get that feeling and something that he can take with him to Roland Garros. And I think you know it could be just fine for him. I guess the to me the only thing that's really going to hold him back from being a huge factor is is if the elbow isn't is worse than we think it is or just isn't coming along for him and it's limiting him in terms of his serve and the way he's playing the game. And that would be so unfortunate. And that's what we're looking at with Rafael Nadal right now. Who knows what's going to happen? And I've cooked up this theory in my head that maybe he knows exactly what he's doing. He just doesn't want to risk any match play right now, but he's going to go out to Roland Garros and give it like 100% and probably be healthier than we think he's going to be. And maybe he can just win it from scratch. Yeah, it's really, really hard to know because I've seen like the limited video that they've posted of practice in social media and he looks fit, but the practice is practice. It's just not the same as three out of five on that court, but he knows his body better than anybody. So if he feels like that's a viable option, I mean, I'd love to see it, but I, to me, the window for him playing, I mean, it's, it's closing. I think rapid, I just would be surprised if he went in there cold with no with no clay core match in a year i would be surprised yeah. but you never know i mean if know. he's feeling strong if he's feeling good if he's feeling he's practicing well he's the best play clay core player of all time so <laughs> you know why why not and he's got he's got every reason to to go and defend it's just you just don't know i mean a hip i mean man it's just it's tough to come back from that yeah you, you feel like he might just you're you're sounds like you're leaning to the that he's going to pull out at some point i am only because I just know from 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 how he's been, you know, that he just really likes the reps, and it's really course, it, it's almost course, a prerequisite for him. But having said that, if we just look back to the twenty two Australian Open, you know, he got hurt in DC. He really didn't play for almost six months until the tune up in go. Australia. Then he goes and wins the Australian Open, which he had, you know, to do that with that much of a of a layoff. I mean, the guy's phenomenal. Like he could definitely do it if he yeah. if he felt physically. I wouldn't blow my mind at all he just did it in australia so i mean it's definitely possible it's conceivable i just don't i just can't see him i don't know it's, it's yeah. harder to conceive him playing without playing on clay it's yeah. tough it's tough maybe he used his miracle card last year because he was up against it with that foot injury and i was expecting something way worse than we got which was a dominant run to the title um, but the guy's a miracle worker so let's let's yeah. uh, we'll have to hold yeah. our breath on both novak and rafa i guess we switch subjects i'll play around with you a little bit i know we have maybe only five minutes but coco Goff. Lots of struggles. Former uh, runner-up last year, really kind of hit the skids. Coaching change. Jeremy Jenkins is in. I got to thinking today. You know, Wim Fissette is still like not paired with anybody, and I think it's about time that he, it's been like six months um, since he's coached anybody, and I think it might be time for him to hook up with somebody. Do you see that being a, a potential good fit with Coco Golf? Yeah, I could. I could see that being 
a potential good fit if she was comfortable with it. I don't think from a um, tactical standpoint, I don't think there's a lot of huge overall. I think it, you know, like you said, the forehand is an issue, and they're really coming for that stroke strong. And you saw what Bedosa did to her on the forehand side in Madrid. So she's got definitely challenges. And also in this draw, she's got the prospect of facing Potapova again, who, who's beaten her twice already, beat her in Miami in a tough three-setter. So she's definitely in a challenging place right time. And like you said, going into Paris, defending the final points. I think the thing that she can draw on the positives is the, is the continued double success she's had with yeah. Pagula. And, you know, she knows she can still play at that level. It's just the, uh, the challenge for her is trying to play as many rallies as she can on the backhand. And I think one way you saw her do that at the French Open last year, she would get the high loopy forehand and hit it down the line because then the, the opponent, they're almost always going to go backhand cross to your backhand, and then you get it back on your backhand. The problem is when you're playing with someone with a good forehand who could just get the first strike in right off the top, I mean, you're, you're not going to be able to reverse the rally. Yeah that effectively so i think that's a area she's got to improve on but we always forget how young she is and if you ask me right now would i rather have coco golf's skill set and game or radicanu or layla or any of the other young players in that age group who've gone deep in major i would still take coco golf i would mm -hmm. still take her game. oh yeah she's really, incredible it's just just I mean, like i'm not saying i would take over eager or any of that i'm just saying other players of that i mean she she has it she has it she's just got to she's got to shorten the backswing to me on the forehand and maybe adjust the grip a little bit that's conceivable over time i'm not saying she's going to do it next week or next month but yeah. she just has so much to work with i, I i'm really optimistic about it long term yeah. but you know short term it's going to be it's going to be tough right well that's and that's why coco talks about her lack of aggressive play and how she wants to be more aggressive but she's relying on her defense too much it has to do has to be due to the forehand, the fact that she doesn't have the confidence in it. She can't attack on on a on a really an elite level with that stroke. So she's kind of shielding. Right. She's playing in a way where she's shielding that side more and more now. So something has to break, I think. But still, I mean, right. And if you watch her play doubles, she does play more aggressive. But you know, on doubles, you're only covering at half the court, and you can she can serve and volley more effectively yeah. in doubles. So yeah, it's tough because how you know it's a conundrum. How are you going to be aggressive if you can't be aggressive off off the forehand and also the low ball to the forehand can also challenge her because the grip is just so hard to get under the ball and that's why she slices the forehand a lot you see her on the low balls hit the slice forehand which you don't you don't really see a lot of oh, a lot of play that so the stove used to do that and yeah. you said he'll do it sometimes but you don't see a lot of players do that because it's just hard it's hard for her to come over it yep so on the women's side, I'm kind of looking at some players here that might be a factor other than Rybakina and Iga. You got Krachikova still hanging around, really great on the surface, former RD champ Kazatkina. Owns, I'm not sure how healthy she is, but she'll be back in Rome, and I think she's, at some point, she's going to make her breakthrough on the clay. It's prop maybe her best surface. She's good on them all, which is a, quite a luxury, right? Caroline Garcia could be a factor. Zachary, we talked about Coco. Kudermatova. Ostapenko's been having a good year. Any of those names stick out to you or any other ones that you'll be keeping an eye on in Rome? I like Krachikova. I always liked her game because she has the ability to play net or back, and she's just a unique player just in terms of what she does with the spin. So I would, I just always keep an eye on her. And like you said, Ostapenko, when she gets hot, when she's on it, I mean, she can take anybody out. So she's another one. Um, 
I would look at. Uh, the thing with Kazakina, to me, the serve is still, the second serve is still an issue, and that's going to be hard to overcome, um, I think, against the heavier the heavier hitters. And Garcia, you know, I, she's been kind of up and down. I thought maybe she would have a little bit stronger to this point, but, you know, she's shown she can do it. It's just, to me, it's going to be tough also going back to Paris because there's just so much pressure there, although she's a former doubles champion there. I just think it's, it's hard to really bring your best there. A little bit of pressure for sure. Let's hope she can she can deal with it. She's got to be – she's surely been used to it. Yeah, 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 and she's won big pressure matches too. I just think that's going to be yeah. uh, challenging. And don't count out JPEG, number three in the world. No, not at all. No, 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 no. Agula can definitely go deep, and like I said, I like to see that come off if she were to play golf in the uh, in the quarters. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't discount her at all. Yeah, and then the last thing, Richard, um, Cake Gate. It was it was fun for a while, annoying definitely the whole way through. But in the end, I think it was pretty obvious that there's some issues with Madrid. They <laughs> muzzling the girls after the doubles final, just like that one for me. I could have shaken it off. Everything else that happened with the cake and whatever, but then. The reaction to it was just, wow. Yeah, that was bizarre. And I saw Jessica Pagula in Today in Rome was asked about it, and she said, I have never seen that at any level of professional tennis that I've played, including 10K yeah. Challenge. I've just never, and I believe her 100%, because I was thinking, when's the last time I saw that? I can't remember it. That you know, ridiculous. either, and also it just, it just makes it look really awkward where they're just kind of standing there on the, it just looks like an amateur hour there. Like, you've got to do better. you got to respect the women, but also just just do better. Like, just think of the optics. And, you know, I have a lot of respect for Feliciano Lopez. I saw his tweet after, and it was a little bit dismissive from my point of view, where he was like, oh, come on, Ogaroon isn't complaining, and he got it. But it's like, dude, it's just the optics. Like, you've given her, like, a cupcake-sized cake. This guy had four people, three people to carry the cake out i mean it's unbelievable it's like you know the beginning of the flintstones when they drop the uh ribs on fred flintstone's car and it tips over. i mean he needed three people to carry the cake and you give her a cake oh, holding it it's like a cupcake like she's holding it in one i mean you gotta be a little bit smarter and sharper and know that just optically that looks really bad i mean yeah. it just does I know, and, and then, I understand it's not their obligation to celebrate everybody's birthday. And he's a national hero. The guy was number one in the world. But I mean, she's an Australian Open champion. She's number two in the world. She's a she's a former Madrid champion. Like, come on, like no, they got to they got to read the tea leaves. It just looks stupid unless there's some kind of internal war battle going on that I'm not aware of. I, I mean, I don't. I mean, it just you just make yourselves look like amateurs. I don't understand what the motivation there. You just got to be smarter than that, you know. Yeah. I mean, people were saying it's a lot. It's about a lot more than the cake. They're talking about um, the models on court, the female models that are doing the ball ball boying or ball girling and sexist, slightly sexist or whatever. And I was kind of brushing it all off. But that last statement, you know, not allowing the women to speak after a doubles final when everybody else gets to speak. That's your reaction. You just don't want to hear it, so you're going to just shut it down. And, I mean, just look, guys. Listen to the tea leaves. You've got issues. People have issues with you. We learn and grow on this kind of stuff together. A big mistake, and I hope they remedy themselves and just kind of take a hard look in the mirror after this. I mean, it's a great event in Madrid. I mean, it's, it's one of the classic events on the tour. I just, just, you know, just kind of fix this type of behavior, please, and let's move on. Yeah, and it is. They have good crowds at the end. I mean, it is a great event, and it's just bad. It's just unfortunate that you have to kind of leave it with that kind of sour, 
No, I mean, it was a fantastic women's final. It was a great final, you know, and also the doubles final that they, to beat the top seeds the way they beat them as comprehensively. I mean, Azarenka and Beatrice have died. They deserve that moment. I mean, they earned that title. That was a really, really impressive victory to just say, here's your trophy, goodbye. You know, like, come on. I mean, I've covered, like, high school state championships in New York where they give you more respect <laughs> at a high school term. It's a Madrid, it's a Masters 1000. It's one of the biggest tournaments of the year. I mean, I don't... I mean, whoever made that decision, I'd like to hear an explanation. I just don't get it. It's just crazy. Yeah, and then... I guess you have to ask the question, would they have ever dared to do that to men? You know, and that's that's no, that's the one you have to think about. Answer, and I question it. What if that was Paul Badosa and Azarenka? Are you gonna are you gonna mute one of your own play, you know, would you have right. done that? Yeah. I mean I I don't Hopefully know. Hopefully they wouldn't have. I, yeah, I don't know. They just need to Hard look in the mirror for Madrid tournament director Feliciano Lopez and whoever else was, was <laughs> yeah, involved yeah. in that decision I mean, making. Hopefully sooner rather than later. Right. I mean, it's never too late. We all screw up in life. Never you know? too late. Like, always have to forgive as well. Day. We're talking to WTA. This is what we're going to do. It's not going to happen. I mean, Anja was she was like, look, I wasn't there, but this should never happen. Yeah. You know, it should never happen again. You That's know, it just shouldn't. Yeah, it's pretty clear. I mean, I don't think Feli should have even made that tweet in the first place. I'm thinking, why are you getting involved in this? Just, yeah, just take yeah. your time and think about it. Maybe you're, maybe yeah. you're the guy who made the mistake after all. And like, it's my perception of it definitely changed over. You know, watching the whole thing play out. At first, I thought it was so stupid. I'm like, are we really? St there's matches going on, and we're talking about this kick. Then after a while, you see the reasoning behind the people's gripes. So I mean, it was it was funny and it was also pretty sad in the end. So uh, hopefully things. Yeah, and also like I better. said, like we talked about the top. I was glad that Ega said that in the speech. I mean, she didn't make a big deal over that, but she did. I felt that it was a smart. That I'm glad she said that. Yeah. One a.m. I mean, she has a legitimate point. I'm glad she said it. She's number one in the world. She has a platform. And I'm glad she spoke up. I mean, you know, she didn't do it disrespectfully. She just said it like it was. So yep. good for her. Just put her on first at the U.S. Open night session is the message. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let, let the men well, stay up to three o'clock. So I'm hoping uh, you know, it doesn't happen there, but we'll find oh, out. Man. All right, so we'll wrap it. But we're back in action, but Richard. Well, we both got to go to Madrid next year, so we'll have to see it in person. I wasn't there. Dude. I want to see it for sure. Yeah, yeah. And you're right, it looks like such a cool venue, too. Oh, so. I mean, come on. It's a classic event. I mean, they just got to get a few yeah. things tweaked. That's obvious, right? Uh, so let's wrap it there, Richard. We'll, we'll come back soon. Maybe maybe next week we'll get back and maybe we'll grab Eric and have a little three-way conversation about Rome, which I'm sure is going to – actually, we got about two weeks. So let's um, let's let it play out and let's uh, everybody get over to www.tennisnow.com. We'll be, we'll be grinding away and scribing some articles out for you guys. In the meantime, enjoy Rome, Richard. We'll be talking on the Slack, and thanks for joining me today. All right, Chris. Thanks so much. Had a great time. Thank you. Cheers. This edition of the Lucky Let Cord podcast is a wrap. Special thanks to Richard Pagliaro for joining. Special thanks to you all for listening. You guys know where to find us, www.tennisnow.com, for all the latest and greatest regarding the road to Roland Garros and the tennis world in general. Also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash tennisnow on Twitter, at tennis underscore now. And we'd love it if you rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. Just go into Apple Podcasts, type in Lucky Light Court Podcast, and voila. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you again for listening. Enjoy the clay court tennis. We'll talk to you guys after Rome.